Welcome to Sundays at Coastal. Jesus was born with a specific calling upon his life. Jesus pursued this calling despite the best efforts of religious leaders, the culture around him, and even Satan. Jesus' sacrifice empower you to pursue your very own calling. You will also face adversity and resistance. Your own sin nature will get in your way. Are you willing to set all of that aside, place your focus on the cross set before you, and walk in the will of the Almighty God? If you are new or visiting with us this morning, welcome. Uh, We're so glad that you're with us here at Coastal Community Church. Uh, Our vision is based on Isaiah 61, where God gathers in the broken, and he says, I'm going to gather all of you, and I'm going to break your chains, and I'm going to give sight to the blind, and I'm going to restore the hearts of the weary, and I'm going to renew you and restore you and make you a nation. And plant you in good soil so that your life grows big and strong and you produce beautiful fruit and that happens with your kids and your grandkids. That's our vision. That's what Jesus was all about. And so we see this story in Scripture. And we see there's, there's three parts of the story. We say this every week, but it's so important. Number one, there's always, always, always hope beyond our brokenness. Always. No matter where you are in your life, There is hope beyond our brokenness. Amen? Amen. Second, we believe that we're called to trust in our risen Savior. And he's alive. And he is worthy of all our praise. And so we're called to trust him. And we learn how to do that together. We learn how to do that together as we come to church on Sunday or in our small groups or we're serving. That's part of the life that we have together. And then finally, we get to bring restoration. So Augie this week gets to bring a bucket full of money to somebody in his life that he's intersected with. And then he gets to come back and tell us that story. And it's so beautiful and so exciting. Um, I want to point your attention to to the back wall. You see that beautiful uh, quilt? If you're online, you can't see it. It's 14 feet wide uh, by five and a half or four four and a half feet tall. Uh, Oh, Matt's got an angle on it. Um, And it says, I'm the vine, you are the branches. This is what Jesus told his disciples uh, in the upper room uh, during the Last Supper. This is the text that we're in today, uh, is the upper room. On the back side of that quilt, um, five years ago when Joni and um, Stallings and her friends made that quilt, uh, we signed it. Um, and has, did anybody sign it here? So just notice that that's seven people. So if you're wondering... I don't know anybody at the church. That's because all y'all are new, okay? And everybody online signed it because all the people that were here at the church at this time are now online because of the pandemic. So we're going to take that quilt down, and all of us are going to get a chance to sign it uh, within the next couple of weeks. So we have some really special services for you. We hope that you'll be able to join us. Uh, And we'll even have an opportunity for those of you online that can't make it or live hundreds of miles away, we'll be able uh, to, you'll be able to submit your name and then staff will sign it for you. We'll take a picture of it and send it to you because we love you. Amen? So we say these, uh, we believe these truths that we're, there's always hope beyond our brokenness, that we're called to trust in our risen Savior. Does the life of what it means to follow Jesus, 
and that we get to bring restoration right where we're at in our life. And then, so that involves our decision. And so let's read our decision today. We're just going to, we read this together every week in case you're new. Uh, We are disciples who walk intentionally with God. Therefore, I choose to be changed by Jesus. I choose to seek Jesus first. And I choose to join Jesus in his resurrection work. So my friend, um, it's the same friend um, that had the... Met that talking dog last week. Um, this guy is incredible. Uh, he was getting his car detailed by a guy named Yuri. And recently, Yuri uh, told my friend, hey, this is going to be the last time I detail your car. And my, said, my friend said, why? And Yuri said, well, uh, for years, I've been saving up my money, and I finally, uh, I finally have enough to retire. And my friend says, well, tell me how it happened. And he goes, well, one day I was washing this guy's car in San Luis Obispo, this investment guy in San Luis Obispo, really rich guy, and I was washing his two or three of his import cars. And I asked him, hey, uh, you know, what stocks should I buy? And the investment guy said, you, you do stocks? You're like a car detail guy. And Yuri says, yeah, I do stocks. Um, uh, I opened an account at your firm. I put in $20 million last week. I want to know what stocks to buy. And the guy was like, oh, sure, yeah, great. And so uh, it's kind of bothering him. The next day, he called his assistant and said, um, is there a guy named Yuri that just deposited $20 million? And the assistant says, actually, yeah. And the guy was like, oh, my gosh. Oh, no. So, the, so he called up Yuri, and he said, and Yuri says, oh, your car is dirty again? And he goes, no, 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 Yuri, I, come to the office. Like, you just, you're one of our major accounts now. Like, you need to come to the office. I want to hear your story. This is absolutely incredible. So Yuri comes to the office, and the whole staff is there, and they're like, tell us your story. How would you make your millions? And Yuri goes, well, um, I came to America. I had nothing. I saved. I scrimped. I uh, worked for years, always had roommates. We lived in terrible places. Uh, and, uh, you know, and here I am today. And everyone clapped, and the investment guy says, so when did you make your first million? And Yuri says, well, I've never made a million dollars. I wash cars for a living. <laughs> but my brother sold heroin, and he died, and then I found all of his money. <laughs> My friend, he's got some, got some buddies. Why am I telling you this ridiculous story? Why? Why? Because I can. That's right. Because when I first heard this story, and then when you first heard this story, all of us, all of us, got immediately sucked in to the heroism of this guy, Yuri, who worked so hard, and then he made $20 million, right? Yeah? And you could just feel the relief. It doesn't have to wash cars anymore. I mean, washing cars is fun if if it's your car and you like your car, but doing it all day for another. Is that my phone? Oh, no, it's not. It's Jesus calling, quick. Um, It's my ringtone. That's why I... we love these stories. We love the story of the investment guy who looks down on the car wash guy and then gets it wrong, right? We love the story of the, of the car wash guy who makes all this money. Um, and then what I like about this story is that you never make $20 million washing cars, right? 
Uh, it's just not gonna happen. Life doesn't work that way. Now, I did have a conversation with a real friend this week. His name is Rob Lee. He goes to our church. And, uh, and we were laughing together about how I was telling Rob about how life worked a couple of years ago. And it was very much like the Yuri story. You work hard, and then things will go right. You know? You do the right things in your life, and then God will then just make everything work out perfect. Hasn't that been all of your experiences? <laughs> Anybody on plan A of their life? And Rob told me, he goes, Andy, yeah, when you told me about how all your plans, and if you just do this, and you do this, and the church will grow, and these things will happen, and then one day you'll plant this, and you'll do that, and all. He goes, man, I just, you are so arrogant. And I was like, I know, right? And he goes, and entitled. I'm like, for sure. Abs <laughs> yes, 100%. Jesus had different plans. And it's not that our church hasn't grown. It has. That's not the point. The point is, is that I wanted my life to get better by hard work, and it was a formula for me. And if I was smart enough, and if I worked hard enough, and then if other people didn't sabotage all my hard work, then everything would work out. And then Jesus came along and he said, oh, <laughs> um, I want you to surrender. And I want you to sacrifice. And you're gonna go through pain. And that's gonna be part of your journey. Because my plan for you, Andy, isn't just about what's gonna happen, but about who you're going to become in your journey. Like, I wanted my story to be Yuri's story. I would work really hard, I'd make my 20 million, and then I'd, ah, oh, ghost. <laughs> right? Is that why it's called the central? Right? We finally can like, <sighs> but that's not my story. And I would venture to guess, dare I say it, that that's not your story. See, Jesus has given me a calling, and that calling is to be with people in the holy ground of their life. And holy ground in your lives does not care about my schedule. The holy moments in your life don't happen always between nine and five. Has anybody ever scheduled an emergency according to like when you felt most rested, <laughs> right? Oh yeah, not, you know, Tuesday would be good. Yeah, I could handle that, right? No, holy ground doesn't conform to my vision board about what should happen next or my bedtime, right? Once you have kids, you realize that, like all your plans about what you thought life would be like, out the window, gone. Holy ground does not care about what I think my limits are about how much I should give, or about my fears about whether or not if I give, then I'll lack energy, opportunity, resource. Holy ground does not 
cooperate with my sense of entitlement that every day off should look exactly like I want it to. That's not how holy ground in your lives work, and I'm called to serve you there. Why is this true? I can tell you why it's true, how I understand it. And it has to do with the very, very heart of God. See, Jesus has no limits on his love for you. Jesus doesn't stop loving you because it's his bedtime. Somebody say amen. Jesus doesn't wince and then delay when he considers what it will cost to meet your needs. He doesn't go, that's too much. Jesus doesn't prioritize his vacation over your desperation. This is the heart of our Savior for you. Can we dig even deeper? Would you stay with me? Why does Jesus live this way? Why is Jesus like this? It's not just because he's God. There's another answer, and I need you to take this answer seriously because it's at the heart of the sermon today. When Jesus walked in this world, his heavenly Father gave him a gift, a purpose, a calling, and the enemy does everything and did everything that he could to rob, steal, prevent, and kill that calling or that gift from our heavenly Father that he, our Father gave to Jesus. Does that make sense? But Jesus did not give up on his calling, his gift, or his purpose. No, Jesus would die first before that would happen. Amen? Amen. So my purpose and my gift and my calling is not to make $20 million and then coast. My calling and my purpose is enter the holy ground of your lives and there connect you with your loving Savior. That's where my energy is. That's where my calling is. That's where my gifting is. Amen? Amen. That's why I'm standing here today, not because I'm so terribly good looking, and I am, (laughs) and humble. What I realized this last year is I was getting close to giving up my calling in exchange for a formula in which I could then And that's exactly what the enemy wanted in my life. You think the enemy only works on me? Mm-mm. He's been hammering you your entire life to rob and steal and kill the calling that God has on your life where you will give and sacrifice and surrender and then watch the kingdom of God, his very aroma and presence and love explode in your family for good and for life. And he has said to you, give that up so you can coast. And today I'm gonna call forth in you that fire to reclaim your calling. And today I'm gonna urge you and ask you to not give that up and to hold on to Jesus and that which he has called you for because when you stand in that calling and I see you doing that, I'm seeing you doing that, I'm seeing you doing that, I see you standing in your calling and all of a sudden the spirit of God starts moving like crazy and I'm saying, let's go more.
And that's what today's passage is about. So are you ready? Can we pray? Lord Jesus, open our ears. Open our hearts. Clear any kind of confusion or doubt from our minds now in Jesus' name. Holy Spirit, thank you for your presence here. We attend to you now. This is your time. This is your holy ground. And we ask protection over it. And so I just bind up anything opposed to Jesus that's bothering us, attacking us, or distracting us now in Jesus' name. Leave this sanctuary. Leave where we're listening right now in Jesus' name. God, just create some space around us so we can hear the good news of the gospel. And all God's people said? Luke 22, verse 1. Read with me. Now, the festival of unleavened bread called the Passover was approaching. And the chief priests and the teachers of the law were looking for some way to get rid of Jesus, for they were afraid of the... Were they afraid of Jesus? What were they afraid of? The people. Why? Because it's the high holy days in Jerusalem. It's the spring festival of the Passover. I'll explain that in a moment if you don't know what that is. But half a million people are in and around Jerusalem. Jerusalem is not very big, right? Can you imagine if a half a million people showed up in the five cities? There's currently 30,000 people or in the five cities, roughly area, sometimes 45, summertime peaks at 60, okay? Can you imagine if there was 500,000 people, okay? And then last week, Jesus rolls into Jerusalem and everybody's like, the king has arrived. The authorities don't want a revolution. They're not interested in having the Romans come in and kill a bunch of people like at the height of the Christmas season. Just puts a sour note on that high holiday. Somebody say yes. yes. Great. So Jesus was incredibly popular. If you provide free health care and free food, you're popular, right? So Jesus was there feeding up the five and 10,000, you know, free healing people. He's great. Everybody, a lot of you was awesome. He is the most popular figure in the whole of the country, Okay. So he is incredibly popular. Do you remember when there was three celebrities in the United States? You do if you're over the age of 60, right? There was the queen. There was Elizabeth Taylor. Do you remember that? And then there was John F. Kennedy and Marilyn Monroe, but then they died, right? And then there was just Elizabeth Taylor and then Richard Burton, and then they broke up and they got back together and they broke up and they got back together and then they broke up and they got together. If you're under the age of 65, you have no idea what I'm talking about, right? But do you remember when Will, slept, Will Smith slapped Chris Rock, right? You remember that? Everybody over the age of 65 has no idea what I'm talking about, right? This is the culture that we live in. Congratulations. All right. I'm relevant now. Okay? So Jesus was a celebrity, right? Everybody knew about him. He was on the Facebook. He was on the Instagram. He was on the Snapchat. He was on the front page of the printed newspaper. Verse 23. Then Satan entered Judas, called Iscariot, one of the twelve. 
And Judas went to the chief priests and the officers of the temple guard and discussed with them how he might betray Jesus. They were delighted and agreed to give him money. Judas decides to betray Jesus. This is a choice. Satan entered Jesus because of Judas's choice. Sorry, I did not say that correctly at all. Satan entered Judas. Big difference. <laughs> kind of, kind of pastor is that? <laughs> Forgive me, God. Satan entered Judas because Judas made a choice. Does that make sense? Yeah. Judas is not a victim here. He made a choice. Judas had a calling. Judas had a gift from God. Judas had a purpose in his life. And what does Satan want? Satan wants Judas's purpose and calling and gifts destroyed and robbed and killed. And what did Judas do? He said yes. He said, I don't think I can do this thing of faith with Jesus. I'm not sure that Jesus has what it takes in order to get the Romans out. I don't, I don't know if I want to give up what I think is right and what should happen. And I don't think Jesus is the guy. I don't think the Jesus way is really going to work. It's not practical. I'm more about business. And it's good business to get rid of Jesus. And Judas didn't want a revolution. Judas, Judas didn't want everybody killed. That's why he was, he's going to betray Jesus where Jesus camps at night. Next verse, 26. He consented and watched for an opportunity to hand Jesus over to them when no crowd was present. This is going to be next week's sermon. Jesus camped at night in the Mount of Olives, the garden called Gethsemane. Basically, it's just an olive grove, right? It's the KOA of Israel. <laughs> if you're under the age of 35, you have no idea what I'm talking about. It's called a campground, right? So... Verse 27, then, read this with me, then, the day, then came the day of unleavened bread, the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed on the day of unleavened bread. Okay, remember what the Passover is. Passover is the celebration of when Israel is freed from Egyptian slavery after Pharaoh finally relents, Okay. The 10th plague um, will come after God gives Pharaoh a chance to repent, just like he did on all of the other nine plagues, right? Pharaoh says, no, thank you. I don't want to let Israel go. Um, and uh, you got to remember, for 400 years, Israel had no days off, okay? They were slaves based on their ethnicity. And for 400 years, the Egyptians would take the firstborn male of the families and kill them for 400 years. It's called genocide. The 10th plague was justice. Now the firstborn males of the Egyptians would die in order to finally convince Pharaoh to let his grip go. So then God says, listen, before I do this, I want you to have a specific meal in a specific order. 
that ordered meal will be called in Hebrew a Seder meal. Seder in Hebrew literally means order. Okay? Make sense? And in that meal, we're going to talk about it in a minute, the centerpiece dish is a lamb. And God said, take the blood of that lamb and then wipe it on your doorposts. And then when the angel of death comes, he will pass over your house. Your children will be spared. When Pharaoh will finally relent, and then you'll have, you'll, you'll, you'll literally take the road out, the ex hadas, hadas means road, the exodus out. You'll take the road out of Egypt into the promised land. And so Israel is celebrating on Passover that they have been set free from bondage and slavery by the blood of the lamb, and now God himself is leading them into the promised land. Sound familiar? Okay. God then instructs the Jews to repeat this meal every year in order to remember that they are a people delivered from freedom, spared from death by the blood of the Lamb. Okay, thank you. Verse 28, read this with me. Jesus sent Peter and John saying, go and make preparations for us to eat Passover. Someone's got to go to the grocery store, right? All right, go to Food for Less, buy things that you need. Verse 9, where do you want us to prepare for it, they asked. It's hard to eat a Seder meal in an olive grove, Okay. Um, Verse 10, he replied, as you enter the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him to the house that he enters and say to the owner of the house, the teacher asks, where is the guest room where I may eat with Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large room upstairs, all furnished, make preparations there. Jesus gives instructions. Clearly, someone earlier in the week has invited Jesus to Passover, and Jesus is like, actually, I need a place to do this with my friends. Do you have a spot? And the guy's like, no problem. I have an Airbnb upstairs. You guys can have it. It's not rented out yet. It was just, you know, it was poorly decorated, but fine. That's great. It's this real long table, um, you know, and then there's this painter there that's looking at you, but you'll be fine. Uh, It's kind of a weird art thing, but whatever. How amazing would that be, though, right? That you invite Jesus to your house, and then he shows up to have a meal. You could do that today, you know. Like, when you go home, you can invite Jesus into your home. He'll be there with you. And I'm not talking about, Lord, bless this food to our body, and may I have not, not, like, no gas and indigestion, please. Like, just take a lactate, okay? I'm talking about, like, in your meal, in your home, Like, Jesus can be there, present with you. All you have to do is ask him. He always shows up. Verse 13. So they left and found things just as Jesus had told them. Last week, they got a brand new colt, right? Donkey, that new donkey smell. This week, they got a house, right? I'm not promising you that when you get to know Jesus. You're not going to get a new car and a new house, but Jesus will give you the things that you need, always. Verse 14, when the hour had came, Jesus and his disciples reclined at the table. So they've gathered all of them, all 12 of them. Verse 15, read this with me. And he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer, for I tell you, I will not eat it again. Now, wait, 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 pay attention, until it... Wait, wait, wait. 
What's the it about? It's the Seder meal. I'm not going to eat this meal again with you until this meal and all that it symbolizes and all that it means finds fulfillment, meaning the promises in this meal will now be fulfilled. Does that make sense? In the kingdom of God. That's crazy. Jesus is saying, all the promises of this meal are about to come true, and I'm not going to have this meal with you again until that's the case. That's, that's big, right? So let's, 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 if you, let's, let me take you back. I'm going to pretend that you're Jewish and remind you, because you've all memorized Exodus chapter 6, verses 6 and 7. Let me just remind you. Right? Let's do Sunday school again. Are you ready? In Exodus chapter 6, God promises Israel four things. And each one of these four promises in Exodus chapter 6, verses 6 and 7, correspond to a cup of wine that you would drink in the Seder meal. Does that make sense? Cup of wine, promise. Right? Each cup symbolizes a promise. Here we go. Exodus 6, 6 through 7. Therefore, I say to the Israelites, here's the first promise. I am the Lord, I will bring you out from under the yoke of, Egypt, of the Egyptians. So that's the first cup in the Seder meal. Then what you do is you'd eat uh, bitter herbs mixed with salt water as a way to remember the bitterness of slavery. And then you drink the second cup. Read it with me. I will free you from being slaves to them. Oh, man, that's the promise, right? God will free me from being a slave. And then you... Somebody earlier in the day, you got the matzah bread, you know what I'm talking about? The little dry bread. And you would break that up, and then you would hide it somewhere in the house. That's called the afikoman. And then you would say to the kids, go find the afikoman. And they'd run around the house like crazy. They'd find the afikoman, and they'd bring it back to you. And then you would, then you would combine that chopped or broken up matzah bread with some apples and some herbs, like almost like brick and mortar, because that's what the Jews had to make in slavery. And then you would drink the third cup. Read this with me. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. And finally, you'd then eat the Passover lamb, right? And then you would, at the end, lift up the last cup, and you would say this, I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God. And then you will know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. So how's this going to be fulfilled? Jesus is about to show us. Are you ready? Today we're taking communion, by the way, after the sermon. So we're, you, I'm, I'm helping you understand what we're doing every time that we take this meal on the first Sunday of the month. Verse 17, after taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, Take this, the bread, and divide it among, or sorry, this is the cup, the first cup of wine. Take this cup, divide it among you, for I tell you, I'm not going to drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes, a.k.a. what Jesus is saying is, here's my big cup of wine, I'm going to top off your glasses with it, and I'm not going to drink this cup until... I fulfilled this promise. I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. And he's right. 
Jesus will not drink wine again until he has broken the bondage chains of slavery by dying on the cross and rising again from the dead. Somebody say, oh, snap. Yeah, that's a big deal. Some of you still wear the bondage chains of slavery to fear, to resentments in your life. God is the bondage breaker. That's what he does. If you feel afraid, if you are full of resentment or anger or bitterness right now, can I pray over you? Lord Jesus, I break these bonds of uh, this bondage, these, all of these chains and these shackles now in the name of Jesus off my friends. Do you want them anymore? Amen. And instead, Lord Jesus, you are the true bondage breaker. I pray for life and love and hope and joy. Amen. Ooh, we're having fun today. Here we go. Verse 19. And he took bread. And he gave thanks, and he broke it, and he gave it to them. Same thing he'd done when he did all the miracles of the replication, right? Free food, yeah? When he opened up the Panera, right? Gave bread to everybody. He said, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Remember that the bread symbolized pain, suffering. And he says, and this is the second promise, I will free you from being slaves to them. The bread, it's the festival of unleavened bread. So when we like our bread leavened because it's nice and chewy and soft and beautiful, if you don't add any yeast or leavening to it, you know what happens? You know what you have to do with the bread? You have to put it on a grill. It becomes a tortilla. <laughs> what happens when you cook a tortilla on the grill? The tortilla gets stripes on it, right? And then for this particular bread... Right? It would bubble up, and the bubbles would get, they would create little air pockets and holes in the bread. What is Jesus saying? He's saying, my body is like this matzah bread. It's striped and pierced with holes. This is my body. It's going to be striped for you and pierced for you. And that's how I'll free you. Verse 20. Let's read this together. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Now, we know that it's the cup after the bread, so that's the third cup, okay? And Jesus is departing from a script here that everybody has known since childhood, right? Say yes. Yes. If somebody just changed the ending of Star Wars, you'd notice it, right? Oh, Darth Vader wins, right? You'd be like, what? Right? If we just changed Easter, the stone didn't get rolled away. Jesus um, got the infinity gauntlet and blew it up, right? We'd be like, I don't know if that's how the story goes. Does that make sense? If you're under the age of 65, you know what I'm talking about. If you don't, that's a reference to Marvel movies. It's important. Um, so this cup is the new covenant in my blood. The third cup is this promise. I'll redeem you with an outstretched arm and with, read it with me, mighty acts of judgment. What is Jesus saying? 
He's saying this Seder meal, in this meal, my body is going to be like this bread. It's going to be striped with whips and pierced with holes. And my blood is going to be like this, this cup. It's going to be shed for you so that this promise can be fulfilled. My arms are going to be stretched out, but now on a cross. And the mighty act of judgment that is going to be happening is the, the judgment that would land on your shoulders and mine will be born, endured, taken freely by our Jesus so that he dies, not you. So that he suffers, not me. That's how the promises of the Seder meal will be fulfilled. You picking up what Jesus is putting down? So we have this meal, this meal, which we'll celebrate here in the next hour and a half. <laughs> this meal, this incredible inheritance in which you and I are called to remember one singular truth. Can you, can you say this with me? Your sins and sufferings do not repel Jesus. Would you repeat that line again, but just say my my sins and sufferings do not repel Jesus. The places of your deepest wounds draw Jesus closer to you. Our Savior's heart is to draw near to you, the brokenhearted, with love and forgiveness, and redemption, and salvation. You have a sacred calling on your life if you have kids. I don't care how old they are. Do not let them live another day without them knowing this truth. Speak it to them that your that their brokenness does not repel God, but then show it to them. Don't let their brokenness repel you. You have spouses and neighbors and roommates and friends, and you can minister to them the deepest part of our Savior's heart, that when you encounter their brokenness in your life, don't run from them, move towards them. Amen. So they've just sat through a meal in which Jesus has shown them how he's going to save. And then Jesus drops this bomb, verse 21. But the hand of him who is going to betray me, I'm imagining he just looks like this at Judas. You're going to be Judas for me, Stuart. I know you're not. I love you. We've both been Judases in our lives, betraying God, but you're a good, trustworthy man. I love you. He's a good man. Amen? You're still a sinner, and I know all of your secrets. But Jesus is like, right? And Judas is like, oh, it's probably not. It's not me. 
Well, I guess, it, look, Jesus looks down the long table, right? Because Michelangelo had it right or whoever did the painting. Uh, the Son of Man will go as it has been decreed, but woe to that man who betrays him. This is fantastic. Verse 23. Then what happens? Read it with me. They began to question among themselves which of them might be who would do this. Oh, I always knew it was you. Peter, I cannot believe it. You're so dang bossy. Of course you betray him. Back off, Thomas. You're the one who doubts everybody, right? <laughs> Can you imagine the conversation? And then what happens when you get accused? You're like, nah, nah, I'm the best. I would never do that. Nah, right? So then, as a dispute also arose among them as to which one of them is considered to be the greatest. I would never betray Jesus. I got straight A's last semester, right? You know how long I prayed? I did not miss church once this year. Ha! It's fantastic. Fantastic. This is what we do. No, I don't want to admit that I'm broken. No, don't want to do that. In fact, what we'll try to do is we'll try and, try and make it all about our performance, and that's not faith. That's just faith in us. This is the struggle that you and I will have in our lives is to admit this deep, deep truth. We want Jesus, and we also want Judas's silver. And when you can admit that and understand that, that's the first step to freedom. Because I want God in my life, and I also want to coast. And that's not how Jesus works. Jesus says, I have a calling for you. I have a purpose for you. I have gifts for you. And the enemy wants to steal those gifts. Are you going to give them up or will you die trying your whole life to live out calling that God has for you? So Jesus says to his disciples, oh, by the way, um, verse 26, the greatest among you should be like the youngest. And he's looking at John, who's like in the youth group, and John is literally snuggled up to Jesus' side, like Dominic is holding his new bride, Jude, right? Like just like snuggled up, snuggled up right there. That's where John, the youth group kid is, right? Can you imagine being John? You're the only kid in the youth group, and your youth pastor is Jesus. That's a good place. And John was like, I'm going to just be right next to your side. These people freak me out, right? Why did adults have to be so weird, right? John's right there. And Jesus says, the greatest among you should be like the youngest. What is Jesus saying? Your first calling is to abide with Christ. Just be snuggled up right to his side. And then he says, and the one who rules is actually the one who's serving because he's looking at the couple of disciples that are actually doing dishes, and they're like, these people never do dishes. These guys are disgusting, right? I don't know who it is. Maybe it was Matthias and somebody else. I don't know. The guys that never get the credit, right? They're always doing the dishes while James and John and Peter are like, I'm the greatest. Then why, yeah, I'm the greatest, right? 
So first, your calling begins with you abiding in Christ. And second, the gift God will give you, your purpose, your calling, it will flow from your faith in Christ. Always, read it with me, in service towards others, always. Maybe you get to lead. Maybe that's your calling. Maybe you get to serve. Maybe that's your calling. Maybe you get to give financially. Maybe that's your gift. Maybe that's your purpose. Maybe you get to give time. Maybe that's your calling. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's a combination of all those things. Maybe, maybe you're going to cook your way into God's kingdom. Why? Because when you out, go outside, you're going to have a Tex-Mex breakfast thing, right? That, that, that Barb and Mary Lou made because they love you. And someone has felt welcomed in this church with our incredible snacks online. Guys, I wish you could be here. It's like... It's like, I don't know, it's like Bobby Flay showed up to church, and every week is amazing. Let me say amen, right? Amen. I, or maybe it's you showing up to someone, your neighbor, your friend, or someone in your life, and you're like, I made this meal for you. I made these cookies for you. I don't know what your calling or your gifts is, but you're called to give it. Why? Because your heavenly Father has never stopped abiding with you. And he's never stopped serving you. And he's never let you go. You are his calling. And he's given everything for you. And he was, he's died before he let you go. He's never let you go. You belong to him. You belong to him. Will you take back what the enemy has stolen in your life? God has a purpose for your life. If you've given up on that today, would you start asking Jesus, what is that today? Would you? If something in your life that you're called to do, would you be willing to take that back today? Would you? Can I call forth and encourage you? All of those, there's so many of you that are standing and walking and moving in the calling God is having you. You're serving. You're saying yes again. Go, go, go. Keep on going. Keep on going. I see you. I see you. Keep on going. Don't stop. Don't stop. Amen? Amen. Amen. Did everybody get a communion cup? Our calling first starts by us abiding with Christ. And the night that Jesus was betrayed, first we're going to undo the top and have, have, the, have the cardboard, the styrofoam. By the way, next month we're going to do like rip and dip. You know what I'm talking about? I don't know if we're actually going to rip the bread or if it's going to be like like pre-cut or something like that, but we're going to have real life bread with gluten in it. Right? And we'll also have gluten-free bread for those of you who are gluten-free or can't do the gluten. But we're going to have real-life bread. It's going to be incredible. Uh, but that's going to be next month. We are going to have real-life grape juice as well, unfermented. Uh, when Jesus in the night, this Passover night, after he was betrayed... He took this bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body which is broken for you. 
said, take it, eat it, remember me. Does anybody need a communion cup? Anybody need one? Let's have this, receive this together. In the same manner after supper, he took the plastic cup and peeled back the foil lid gently so it didn't spill on the carpet. And he said, this is the cup which is the new covenant now in my blood. You remember what the promise is? I'll redeem you with an outstretched arms and mighty acts of judgment. That's what he's done for you. If you want to receive Jesus into your heart and his sacrifice and his calling in your life, join with me. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for my friends here today. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for the calling that you have on each one of their lives. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you love them and that you've rescued them and that you've redeemed them. And God, I pray that you'd restore everything that the enemy has taken from them. God, I pray that the calling that they started but maybe gave up on or that they began but then were crushed by the enemy, I pray, God, that you would revive them and renew them and restore them. I pray, Lord Jesus, for a spirit of prayer and worship on my friends here today. I thank you, Lord Jesus, for their sacrifices, their gifts, their, how they use them so beautifully. And I say more, Jesus, we're ready. We're ready to be your kingdom, your hands and your feet in this place. We're ready, Lord Jesus. And all God's people said... Pastor Andy Rock is the senior pastor of Coastal Community Church. It's located in Grover Beach, California, and serves communities across the Central Coast. Join us online each week on Sunday morning at 9 a.m. for our weekly live stream. We also have two in-person services at 9 a.m. and 1040 a.m. in our sanctuary. Coastal Community Church is located at 1830 Farrell Road, Grover Beach, California. For more information, visit our website www.mycoastal.org. Thanks for joining us, and I hope you have a great week.